All right, so we are in this series called Acts, the Church on the Move. We are in week number seven of, of this series. Uh, really what Acts is all about is all about, uh, again, the church on the move, that Jesus, this follows the, the uh, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has gone up. The Holy Spirit has come down. The church is born, and the church and the gospel begin to advance throughout the world. In fact, Acts 1.8, we've mentioned this before, is a key verse in the book of Acts. It says, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right here in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Uh, so, so in other words, Jesus says, hey, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to empower you. You're going to be uh, my witnesses. You're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this is what we see play out in the book of Acts. Uh, just as a way of summary, what we see in Acts, bold faith, intense opposition, the explosive power of the gospel. This is the book of Acts. So we see these, these men called apostles who were with Jesus. They are kind of the foundational figures of the church. They help establish and lay the foundation of the church. But we also see these prototype uh, deacons. We saw a, a man named Stephen a couple weeks ago uh, in Acts chapter uh, 6 and 7 who uh, became the first martyr of the church. He, he preached the word, and he ended up getting stoned, uh, executed for that. And then last week we saw a man named Philip, who was another one of those deacons, full of the spirit and of wisdom, and, and he was mightily used of God. He preached, but he also did this one-on-one -on -one, uh, relational kind of evangelism with the Ethiopian eunuch. And we saw that that Ethiopian eunuch received the gospel, and history and tradition would tell us that he was really one of the founding forces of taking the gospel to the continent of, of Africa. And so we see these apostles doing work. We see deacons who are doing work. This week we're going to see, and we'll continue to see throughout the book of Acts, uh, more of what I would call lay people advance the mission. And when I say lay people, that's not a term we use much anymore. Uh, Back in the day, you would talk about lay people and clergy. So lay people would be just the regular, everyday, common people, everyday followers of Jesus, whereas clergy, and I'll implore you to never call me clergy, all right? uh, clergy is the professional, the paid Christians. And, and, and what we see more today and throughout the book of Acts is, is more and more just everyday people advance the, the gospel. And, and let, me, let me just read uh, three different kind of quotes or, or thoughts to you this morning in regards to that and how God uses just regular people. Uh, there was a theologian named Adolf von Harnack who claimed that when the church won its greatest victories in the early days in the Roman Empire, it did so not by teachers or preachers or apostles, but by informal missionaries. Just regular everyday folks, regular everyday believers. Brian Green says this, the future of Christianity and the evangelization of the world rests in the hands of ordinary men and women and not primarily in those of professional Christian ministers. The gospel is going to get out if ordinary men and women take the gospel to others. Uh, here's another quote from J.A. Stewart. He said, Every, uh, each member of the local assembly went out to win souls for Christ 
by personal contact and then brought these newborn babes, I love when you use the word babes, <laughs> these newborn babes back into these local churches where they were indoctrinated. And that's not a term we typically love today, but that just means to, to teach and to systematically um, put doctrine or teaching into. So they were one to Christ, brought into the church, strengthened in the faith of the Redeemer. They, in turn, went out to do Likewise, And so you see the, the, the mission of God advances in the world through everyday, regular people like you and me. And so we're in this, we're calling it the year of, of mission. And, and the mission of Jesus, the mission of, of the church is to make disciples, to make followers of Christ, to reach people with the good news of the gospel. And last week, I kind of ended the sermon by talking about how God calls every single one of us to be everyday, spirit-filled gospel messengers, every single one of us. This is his call for us. So I have a question that I just want to lead off with this morning that I don't expect an answer from you. Uh, I just want you to sit on this question for, for, for a while. And the question is this, do you believe, do you believe that you have a part to play in God's mission in the world? Do you believe that you have a part to play in God's mission in the world? I think some of us would go, yes, like upon first, with, without much thought. But if we really thought about it, we would, some of us might say, well, that's kind of your job, the paid guy. Or paid, I'm not like a, a pastor. I'm not uh, an employee of the church. I'm not a missionary. So I, I, don't, I think some of us would say, I don't know if I have a part to play. I don't know what my part is. So I want to encourage you this morning, this morning um, that if you have put your faith in Christ, you have, you have put your faith in Christ, you have the Spirit of God within you, you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you, just like these early believers did. You have the Word of God, which Romans 1.16 says the gospel is the power of God to salvation. You have the Spirit of God, you have the Word of God, you have the family of God, you have the army of God alongside you. You have everything you need to play a part in God's mission. In fact, God calls you to. God calls all of us to be a part of his mission. And what we will see today in Acts chapter 9, and I should have put this on the screen. I don't think I have it up here for you. But here's what you're going to see today, is that nobody is, beyond God's, nobody is beyond God's reach, and everybody has a part to play in his plan. Nobody is beyond God's reach. We're going to see that with a man named Saul today. And yet everybody has a part to play, whether it's small or whether it's large. And so today's sermon, we're going to see Saul sees the light. Saul sees the light. Acts chapter 9. So let me pray and then we'll jump into Acts chapter 9. Lord, I just want to say thank you again this morning that by your spirit we can have life. We can come to life because of the good news of Jesus, because of what you have done for us. Because even while we were yet in our sin, you loved us and you died for us. And you made a way for us to be forgiven and cleansed of all of our sin. And this good news, uh, God, we can take to the world. And you have a plan uh, for us to be a part of, of that, of taking this gospel message into the world. And Lord, I'm just thankful for what we get to see today in the story of Saul, that nobody is beyond your reach. Nobody is outside of of your scope of love and care. God, you love us. You have shown that to us through uh, Jesus and through his death on the cross for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us in all the things that we see today. I pray that where we need to be challenged, you would challenge us. Lord, where we need to be strengthened, would you strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
And so Acts chapter 9, three things I want us to see today. And this is, this chapter is so uh, monumental in the scope of God's story. The, the thing that takes place here in the life of Saul of Tarsus, uh, man, changes the trajectory of, of the church and the gospel. And so uh, here's the first thing we're going to see today. Three things we're going to see. The first thing is this. Saul has a plan, but God's plan prevails. Saul has a plan, but God's plan prevails. And we're going to spend a couple minutes reading through uh, verses 1 through 19. And what I want you to look for as we read through this is look at Saul's plan, the plan that he has for his life, the plan that he is pursuing with his life, and then watch how, how God's plan uh, interrupts and, and turns it upside down. All right, so Acts chapter 9, starting in verse number 1, we see this. It says, but Saul... Still breathing threats. And if you remember a couple chapters ago, this guy Saul is the one who, at Stephen's uh, uh, stoning, there's this young man named Saul who was standing approving of his execution. And so it says in verse number one, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he be found or if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. So Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, verse number 10, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Verse 19, and taking food, he was strengthened. And we'll stop there. So Saul has a plan, but God's plan prevails. Did you see, did you see Saul's plan? 
We saw it earlier in, in chapter 7, chapter 8. We saw that his plan is to literally ex- extinguish the way. Now, the way was this phrase in the, the early first century uh, designated for those who followed Jesus. And, and, you know, we would assume that that came from Jesus' statement in John 14, 6, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All right. So Jesus was the very first one who said, this is the way. That's a Mandalorian reference for you Star Wars nerds. Uh, So all those who were followers of Jesus, the way, Saul's plan was, I'm going to exterminate this whole group of men and women. He is, he is, it says in verse number one, if you go back there, it says he was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So he seeks from the chief priest's letters to go bind them and bring them back. And so this was his plan, the plan for his own life. But God had a different plan. God's plan will not be stopped. God's plan, he says to Ananias, he says, hey, listen, he is a chosen, he is my chosen instrument to take, to carry my name to the Gentiles. This is my plan for his life. I'm going to do a 180 in his life. He is my chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And oh, by the way, in verse number 15, he says another part of his plan is Uh, Verse number 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of of my name. And so this one who is causing the followers of Jesus to suffer, God says he is going to suffer much for my name, but he is my chosen instrument. This is my plan for his life. Proverbs 19.21, this certainly applies in the case of Saul, but it applies for all of us. Proverbs 19, this simple proverb tucked into the book of Proverbs says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. God's purposes will stand. God's purposes will prevail. And we've kind of seen this theme already in the book of Acts. If you go back a few chapters to chapter 4, if you remember when Peter and John were first arrested and they're released and they go back to their friends and they're praying and in their prayer, they're praying, oh Lord, you are the sovereign one. We trust you. You are powerful. Verse 28, you're going to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. In other words, we we realize, Lord, that you are sovereign and that your plan is going to stand. Your plan will prevail. The next chapter, Acts 5, if you remember Gamaliel, that that revered uh, Pharisee who stood before the, the Sanhedrin, the council, and when they were talking about what to do with the apostles, he said, hey, listen, if this plan, if this undertaking, verse number 38, is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. In fact, you may even be found opposing God. And so all throughout here, we hear Gamaliel say, if this plan is from man, it's going to fall flat. But if this is God's plan, if this is God's purpose, man, you cannot hope to overthrow it or upset it or thwart it. Nothing will stop the plan of God. And so Saul had a plan, but God's plan prevailed. So if you are, uh, you know, if you're naturally a planner in this room, um, hey, keep planning. That's good. But, but submit your plans to the Lord and be ready for him to shake up your plans, right? Be prepared that your plan may be 
the exact opposite of his plan for your life. And I think sometimes we get frustrated because we have our plans. God has a different plan for us and his plan will prevail. And yet the more we resist his plan, the more frustrated we get. And so rather than resisting, be prepared to change your plans to go along with God's plan because his purposes, Proverbs 19, will stand. So Saul has a plan, but God's plan prevails. Here's a second thing that we see is that God raises up people to play their part in his plan. God raises up people to play their part in his plan. And I use the, that phrase, raises up people, because we saw this with Philip. We see it here with, um, with Saul and Ananias. God always uses this phrase, like rise and go. Like rise and go. And I think he's, he's always calling us to get up and, and move. But he raises up people to play their part in his plan. The first person, there's three people we see in, 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 in Acts chapter 9. Uh, Ananias is the first one we've already read about. So when you look at this guy, Ananias. So this isn't Ananias. This apparently was a common name in the first century. This is not Ananias from chapter 5. Right, who Ananias and Sapphira, who you know, lied to the Holy Spirit and you know, boom, was dead. Right, not that Ananias. Uh, later on, in I think chapter 23, there's another Ananias. He's a high priest. Um, when, when you come to this episode in 23, he's a high priest who commands somebody standing near Paul to slap him upside the face, and Saul like goes off. It's a funny story. You'll have to look at it. Uh, we'll come along there later. This is not that Ananias. All right, this is a different Ananias who only appears in this, this scene, all right, in the story, but he plays a huge role. He, he has minimal screen time, but his, his part, he has major impact on the, uh, the storyline. He plays an incredible part in here. In here. So, so if, if you remember what we just read, God calls Ananias. He says, hey, I've got a man that I want you to go, uh, go see. It's this guy named Saul. And immediately Ananias, what was his response? It was like, God, you know who this guy is? You want me to go like, help him to see? Because you know what he's doing, right? As if God was kind of clueless to, to who Saul was. And he comes to him and, and he kind of has the opposite response of Philip. Remember last week we talked about Philip where God said, rise and go. And what did he do? He arose and went. No delay, no question. Here he goes, Ananias, I want you to go and give sight to Saul. And Ananias doesn't like get up and go, does he? He goes, are you sure? Are you sure you got the right guy? This is the murderer of Christians, you really want me to go? And so he, he questions. He doesn't really debate. He just questions God. God says, go. He's a chosen instrument. He's my chosen instrument. And so he goes, and God uses him in this moment. And I even love it. Like, in the moment he comes to Saul, he has resigned himself, accepted the Lord's plan. He knows this is a man that God is going to use. And so he, it says he lays his hands on him. And you hear the very first words that, that he said to Saul? Brother Saul. Like that is a term of effect. That is a family term. Brother Saul. Man, I, I've been sent to you. God has, has directed me to you. He's already welcoming him into the family of God. And so Ananias plays this incredible, though very brief, role in the story of God. And, and, and yet God uses him. But then you, we come to Saul. Let's, let's look at this person of Saul. And, and I want to read kind of further on what happens, because obviously Saul at this point, you know, he is, he has, God strikes him with physical blindness, which 
mirrors his spiritual blindness, right? His eyes are open, it says, but he can't see anything. And so it mirrors really our spiritual condition before coming to Christ, that we have blinders on, we have scales over our eyes until 2 Corinthians 4.4, I believe, says uh, the, the, the blinders are removed. We see the light of the glorious gospel. And this is, this is where Saul is, but he he comes to faith in Christ. It says the Spirit fills him. He is baptized. And then he immediately begins to proclaim Jesus. So we're going to read on in the story, starting back in verse number 19. Uh, it, let's kind of move forward. It says, in, um, he, he took food. He was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Saul, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of of God. And so from the very start, the message of, of Saul, who would become Paul, was Jesus. He proclaimed Jesus. He is the Son of God. And it says, All who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul, it says, increased all the more in strength. And confounded the Jews, much like Stephen, much like Philip, confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And it says in verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Like, is this not the greatest, like, 180? Like, the chapter starts with him persecuting and pursuing Christians to kill them. And now, this, the, the, oh my, how the tables have turned, right? Where now, the, now those that he was partnering with are now seeking to kill him. The hunter has become the what? The hunted. He is proclaiming Christ so much so, so fervently, but that now he stands alongside of the disciples and the apostles where they're wanting to execute him and remove him and get him out of the way. And so God raises up Saul to play this incredible part in the story. He would later become the apostle Paul. But then there's a third person in the story that I want us to see, and his name is Barnabas. Barnabas. And we're going to read a few more verses here, verses 26 through 31, as you kind of carry on with the story. So Saul is preaching the gospel. They want to kill him. Verse number 26, it says this, when they had come to Jerusalem. So they took Saul back to the kind of the mother church in Jerusalem, right? And so it says, when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him. Okay, that would make sense, right? This is the enemy, and now he's coming into our building. He's coming into our, our, our people, into our group. They were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Like, it was, it was understandable that they would be skeptical, right? Is this guy for real? Or did he find some, like, sneaky way to make his way in so he could kill us all, right? So they're afraid of him. They don't believe that he's a disciple. Verse 27, but... Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists 
uh, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So, verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So the work continued. Saul played a huge part in this, but I don't want you to miss this guy named Barnabas. We were introduced to Barnabas back in chapter 4, verse number 36. It it kind of mentioned him alongside these other disciples who were selling all that they had and laying it at the feet of the apostles. It it said his name was... um, What was his name? Joseph, I believe, is right. Otherwise known as Barnabas, which means, it says in Acts 4.36, son of encouragement. So Barnabas was, you can just imagine, man, he was an encourager. He was an uplifting guy to be around. Barnabas steps on the scene here, and he, he comes alongside of Saul. When he brings Saul in, like Saul comes in, everyone is afraid of Saul. Nobody believes that he's for real. And here comes Barnabas, who everybody is encouraged by, everybody loves. And here comes Barnabas. He steps up alongside of Saul. He comes alongside of him. He vouches for him. He becomes a mentor to him. We will see that Barnabas becomes a ministry partner alongside of, of Saul. In fact, here, here's an interesting thing to, to note and for you to kind of watch out for as we, as we read through Acts is from this point on, you start seeing them listed as a, as a, you know, a partnership. You see uh, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul until Acts chapter 13, which is a chapter when Barnabas and Saul are sent out with the gospel to, to plant churches. It, it shifts. Saul's name becomes Paul, which represents his new identity. And it no longer is Barnabas and Saul. It becomes, chapter 13 on, Paul and Barnabas. And so there's this transition where Barnabas comes along alongside Saul. He encourages him. He vouches for him. He brings him along in his faith. And then there's a transition later on in Acts 13, which is so cool, where now it's Paul, the apostle Paul and Barnabas. And so this is such an amazing part that Barnabas gets to play in the story of God. And each one, each one of these three guys, Ananias, Saul, Barnabas, every single, each each of them had their own part to play. So Saul, he gets all the headlines, right? But Saul does not become Paul without Ananias, without Barnabas, The impact of the gospel extending to the rest of the world does not happen without Ananias, like Philip before him, who heard the Spirit of God speak to him. He obeyed. He was used in this one moment to bring Saul to faith in Christ, and then he disappears. He's no longer on the scene. Ananias plays this pivotal part in the story of God. Barnabas, who comes alongside of Saul and vouches for him, encourages him and helps him. He plays a part in the story of God. Paul gets all the headlines. He writes half of the New Testament. Uh, He is the exciting one that we look to, but Saul does not become Paul without Ananias and without Barnabas. And so God has a part for every single person to play in his plan. Here's, Here's a third and final thing that we see kind of as we summarize this passage, is it's all about the gospel. 
It's all about the gospel. That's a phrase that we, we say a lot behind the scenes here. Uh, it's a, a phrase you'll see for, you know, on my, you know, my Tumblr. You'll see it on journals we give out to new folks who come to our church. It's plastered on my uh, whiteboard in my office. We say this all the time. It's just a reminder of, of what the church and what the ministry is to be all about. It's all about the gospel. And we see that in Acts chapter 9. And it starts with, we already, we've, we've kind of walked through all that we'll see in chapter 9, but it all starts with an encounter with Jesus, right? So Saul is making his way. He's living his life. He's doing his thing. He's, he's walking out his plan for his life. And yet God interrupts Saul's plan. God intersects Saul's path. And he confronts him with his sin. So there's a question that, that, that Jesus asks Saul, if you remember, when he, he falls down and, he, and, and Jesus says, Why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And I just want to point this out because I think this is so important. Because uh, sometimes we have in the church in 2023 people who would say, well, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus, but I don't really want to have anything to do with the church. I don't want to be really committed to the church. That's kind of an extra thing that I, I've been hurt. I don't want to do church anymore. Well, I want, you, I, want to, I want you to see and think about what Jesus says here. He says, why are you persecuting me? Was, was Saul persecuting Jesus? No, he was persecuting people of the way, right? But what Jesus was saying is that when you persecute the church, you persecute me. Because this is my bride. You don't separate the, the, the bride from the groom. This is my body. These are my people. You persecute her. You persecute me. And so he confronts him with, with his sin and then there's a question that Saul asks that is maybe the most important question that any of us could ever ask in our life. Do you remember what question he asked? He said, who are you, Lord? So it starts with an encounter where Jesus intersects, he interrupts his life, he confronts him with his sin, and then Saul asks this most important question that every single one of us at some point in our life have to ask. And we need an answer for this question. Who are you, Lord? Who are you? This is why we stress, you hear me talk about so often the four questions. Who is God? What has he done? Who am I in light of that? What do I do? It's because that first question is the most important. Who is God? Who is the Lord? Who is Jesus? So every single one of us that have come, come to faith in Christ, it started because God confronted us. He, we, there was an encounter with Jesus where we had to ask the question, God, who are you? Who in the world are you? Are you worth giving my life to? Are you trustworthy? Can I lay down my life at your feet? Are you worthy of that? That is the question that every single one of us has to answer. And so for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we, have said, we know who he is. And based on who he is and what he has done in Christ, that forms our identity. What we're saying about this morning, this is who we are. And then that, everything we do comes out of that. But, but Saul had to ask this question. Who, who are you, Lord? And then we see, you know, obviously the Lord answers his question. He reveals himself to him in all of his, his glory. But then we see for, for, for Saul or for Paul, God's plan for him was, was very particular, right? It was, it was specialized. But God's plan for all of us 
is to know him and to make him known. It's really the same thing that he said to, to Saul in verse number 15. I'm just going to go back to that verse for a second because he said this to Ananias. Go, for Saul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. So God used him in a very specific way. But listen, God's plan for every single one of us is to know him and to make him known. For every single one of us, we are chosen to know him. Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and it talks about this, that we are chosen to be in him before the foundation of the world. We're, we are to know him and to make him known. It's all about the gospel. And I, I want to read for you our, really, uh, our benediction verse. We read it every single week. It's, it's meant to send us off with a blessing into our week and encourage us to live the life that he's called us to live. But it really speaks over us, our, our mission, that we are chosen instruments. Colossians 1, 27 through 29. Paul said it this way, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim. This is our mission. This is our purpose. Him we proclaim. Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So we are to know him and we are to make him known. We are to proclaim him to the ends of the earth. And so how do we live in light of all this? This is really simple, y'all, this morning. It's, it's so simple, uh, and yet it's, it's easy. It's not simple. Simple, not easy. One of those two, all right? It's hard to live this out. How do we live in light of this? Embrace your place in God's plan. Embrace your place in God's plan, however big or however small that may be. You know, for some of you, maybe God is calling you to something more. Maybe he's calling you to a larger role in the kingdom of God. Maybe, maybe God is calling you um, to a higher level of service. Uh, I don't talk about this often, but maybe, maybe God is calling you into ministry. Maybe God is calling you to give your life to go to the mission field, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to suffer for the sake of his name. Maybe he's calling you to lay down your life and your future to get the gospel to the world. Maybe God would call you to that. Maybe he's calling you to just be more involved. Maybe he's calling you to, to give or serve more regularly. Embrace it. Whatever he's calling you to, whatever his plan is for your life, embrace it. Maybe he's calling you to go to carry his name to someone that you love. And you're scared, you're nervous, you're intimidated by that. Embrace it. And all of the nervousness that you have, embrace your place in his plan. You could be an Ananias for somebody. You could be a Barnabas for somebody. You may not be Paul that takes the gospel to the ends of the earth, but you could be that person who shows up for a moment in somebody's life and changes the trajectory. For me, that was a guy named Matt. You could be that kind of person. Embrace your place in God's plan. Whew, I didn't plan to get emotional. <laughs> 
Maybe, you know, you would say this morning, I'm not even sure what my place looks like. I don't even know what that would look like, however small or big. You know what? That's okay. Simply be obedient. Keep being like Philip last week. When God moves, I'm going to obey. Like Ananias today, when God moves, when God speaks, when God directs me, I'm just going to obey. Embrace your place in God's plan. You know what, maybe this morning, I'm just going to say this, maybe you've never even responded to his call to come to him, his invitation to receive the life that he's provided for you. What we see, what we see today very clearly from Saul's life is that there is nobody, there is absolutely nobody beyond God's reach. Not you, not your mother, your father, your friend that you like they will never come to Jesus nobody is beyond God's reach nobody is hopeless not you not anybody and so you know maybe today you'd be like I don't I'm hopeless you're not you are not beyond God's reach and so I want to encourage you today talk to somebody embrace the good news of the gospel what he has done for you We're going to sing this morning about the reckless love of God, this love that pursues us. It's this extravagant love that chases us down. It's a a love that wants to use us. And so I want to ask you to stand. I want to pray us into this song. But let's rejoice in this God who loves us and pursues us with an extravagant grace. God, thank you this morning for what we see in Acts chapter nine. Lord, thank you for interrupting the life of Saul, for intersecting his path, for changing his plans to line up with your great plan and your purposes for him. God, thank you for using Ananias to play a part. Thank you that Ananias was obedient when you called him. God, thank you for using Barnabas to be an encourager, to come alongside of, of Saul. God, we are all recipients of your grace because Ananias was obedient. We are all participants in the good news of the gospel because Barnabas came alongside of Saul. And so God, help us to embrace whatever role you call us to play. However small, however large, God, we want to be obedient. We want to follow you. We want to be instruments. You have chosen us. You have called us. You have chased us down so that we could know you and make you known. And so God, I pray that we would live in that calling, that we would lean into that calling. God, help us to embrace this calling that comes from you. We love you. We worship you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.